This is the World War II Radio Podcast. A date which will live in infamy. This is London. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Go ahead, Berlin. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Welcome to the World War II Radio Podcast. The goal of this podcast is to present the original radio broadcast from 80 years ago during the days of the war, with the occasional more recent radio programs about the war. Today, we have the February 29, 1944 issue of the Crisco Radio Newspaper. Hosted by actress Bernadine Flynn and newsman Derwood Kirby, these daily news updates and features were broadcast over CBS and sponsored by Crisco. The World War II Radio Podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production. If you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Be sure to visit our website at brickpicklemedia.com slash podcasts, where you find links to past episodes and other information. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ww2radio. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's episode of the World War II Radio Podcast. Crisco's Radio Newspaper with Bernardine Flynn. Brought to you by Crisco, the pure all-vegetable shortening. It's digestible. Now, Bernardine Flynn. Thank you, Derwood, and hello, friends. Before Derwood Kirby brings us the latest world news, I want to tell you a little story about Sergeant Louis Newbar, who is stationed at Fort Douglas, Utah. Sergeant Newbar, it seems, just doesn't like to be crowded. So, for a long time, he's made it a practice to get up a little earlier than the rest of the soldiers in the barracks so he can shave ahead of the washroom rush. The other morning, he was awakened by noises coming from the squad room. Ah, time to get up, he said to himself, and drowsily threw the covers back and hustled down to shave. He carefully finished the job and then returned to the barracks. For some reason or other, not feeling as though he'd had enough sleep. And when he re-entered the barracks, the truth dawned on him. No wonder he felt as though he hadn't slept enough. It was only one o'clock in the morning. The noise he'd heard was some of the boys just coming in. And now, Derwood, what's the latest world news? American heavy bombers picked up the air offensive against Western Europe this morning, Byrne. Our flying fortresses blasted targets at Brunswick, one of Germany's major manufacturers of aircraft engines, as well as an important communications center. The fortresses were escorted into their target by formations of American and British fighters. Early reports say there was heavy anti-aircraft fire, but practically no German fighter plane opposition. Our liberators and other planes also bombed the French invasion coast. In London, Britain's air minister, Sir Archibald Sinclair, says that air supremacy over Germany, to blast open the road to Berlin, now lies within the grasp of the Allies. He says that our historic aerial offensive is producing visible, measurable, and progressive results. However, Sinclair cautions that Germany is still capable of striking back in heavy force. General Arnold, the United States Army's air chief, has commended the 15th Air Force in Italy for last week's raids on German aircraft plants. He says that those attacks laid the foundations for final and decisive operations in the future. In Italy, the heaviest artillery duels in 10 days have broken the lull on the Anzio beachhead. 
British troops have broken up a series of small German attacks, and other Allied troops have mopped up a number of Germans who wriggled through the lines near Casino. From Russia, Premier Joseph Stalin has sent a message to President Roosevelt predicting that the time is near when the Allies will defeat Hitlerite Germany. On the Russian battlefronts today, the Red Army is racing over the approaches to Peskov and nearing the outskirts of the town itself. In Moscow, a special Russian atrocity commission has made a full report on the brutality of German occupation forces at Kiev. The commission is holding Field Marshal von Manstein, the German commander in southern Russia, responsible for 195,000 murders in the Kiev area. Finland's parliament held a secret session this morning, presumably to discuss chances for an acceptable separate peace with Russia. And there is also a report that Sweden will do its best to provide Finland with food if the Finns get out of the war. On the other side of the world, there is good news in our war against the Japs. First of all, the Navy Department reveals that our submarines have sunk 14 more Japanese merchant vessels. And in New Delhi, Admiral Mountbatten has issued an order of the day to his forces in Burma, saying that their complete victory on the Arakan Front has given the Japanese a crack they will remember. In the Southwest Pacific, American air and naval forces have delivered another heavy blow to Japanese shipping, destroying or damaging 29 Japanese planes, 34 barges, and two cargo ships. And the Japs admit that they lack sufficient aircraft to cope with the growing Allied offensive actions. In this hemisphere, in Buenos Aires, the police say that they seized documents of the German Transocean News Agency to prove that it was connected with spy rings in countries bordering Argentina. Also, the Tokyo Radio, by the way, has come forth with one of the best of the war's wisecracks. Unconscious variety, that is. After telling of new American successes, the Jap announcer asked, what shall we do now? And then uh, solemnly answered his own question by saying, now is the time that the people of Japan should stand up with resolute determination, glaring at the enemy. Well, some Marine probably has the answer to that one with, glare ahead, brother, we're coming in anyway. And that's the top of today's world news. Now, Bernardine, I believe you have something of interest for our listeners. The other day I was talking to a woman who runs a cooking school, and we got to comparing notes, particularly about Crisco. She said she'd just never seen so many dyed-in-the-wool butter users who were being won over to Crisco for cakes. Well, that wasn't any surprise to you, was it, Fern? No, but I'm glad I'm not the only one who's noticing it. Really, friends, don't you think butter for cakes got to be kind of a habit? Why, with Crisco, you can make some of the best-tasting cakes you ever put in your mouth full of flavor, wonderful texture, and light as a feather. Like the maple walnut cake I made yesterday. You just add chopped walnuts to a regular yellow layer cake batter. And for the frosting, use a boiled icing with maple syrup in it. Anyway, the cake was delicious. As good as any butter cake ever thought of being. And what about that lighter cake secret of Crisco's, Vern? Oh, yes. Why, friends, do you know that with Crisco, you can make a lighter cake than with any other shortening, even the most expensive? It's amazing to think a shortening can make that much difference. But you just try a Crisco cake and see. See if you ever tasted a cake quite as light or one that was quite as good. Now, Bernardine, how about another story? This is a story about the Red Cross, Durward. 
Not long ago, Red Cross relief representatives were standing on a dock under a hot African sun and watching a large gray refugee ship move in through the harbor. There were children on board, three or four hundred young refugees from Greece. There were adults on the ship, too, many of them ill, others forlorn and bewildered. They had seen their country ruthlessly devastated by the Germans. For most of them, everything they'd ever owned had been lost. They had only the baggage they carried. One very old lady refused the assistance of a young native boy who ran out to help her. She was afraid to let her few pitiful belongings out of her sight. Then there was a little girl, blonde and blue-eyed and not more than six years old. She had no baggage at all. All she owned was on her back, a shapeless dress made from an old burlap sack. As the refugees steam-streamed onto the dock, Red Cross workers passed among them, distributing refreshments and clothing and making assignments for temporary homes. The little girl in the burlap was given a new Red Cross dress. She didn't know what to say. She hugged it to her and stared at the Red Cross worker with unbelieving eyes. It had been so long since she'd had anything pretty or clean or new. The next day, though, the Red Cross workers were surprised to see the little girl still wearing her ragged gunny sack dress. Where's your new dress, dear? The Red Cross lady asked her. Did you lose it? The child was silent for a moment, then she looked up timidly and said, Please, my mother had to stay behind in Greece. Someday I'm going back and find her, and please, I want to save my Red Cross dress for her. Heartwarming, sincere little stories like this are told every day by the thousands of Red Cross workers all over the world. The Red Cross is on the job, lending a helping hand on the battlefields, in the liberated countries, and on the home front. They help the needy regardless of race or color or nationality. Tomorrow, friends, the Red Cross begins its annual membership drive. The goal is set high this year, for there is much work to be done. That means we must back the Red Cross more than ever. You and I, and the people who live up the street, and those around the corner, and on the other side of town. Each one of us must do all we can to see that this great organization is kept going at full strength. When one of the volunteer workers calls on us, let's give and give again for the Red Cross needs our help. You're very right, Byrne. Our contributions couldn't go for a better cause. By the way, Durwood, how was your trip to New York last week? Oh, it was swell, Byrne, just swell. It was a bond-selling trip, you know, and we really sold the bonds, approximately $10 million worth in all. Wonderful. And it was the first time I'd been to New York in 10 years. Oh? And believe me, it sure has changed. Uh, the thing that struck me most was the number of different uniforms you see on the sidewalks of New York. I saw fighting men and women from every one of the United Nations and from every branch of their armed forces. It was really a wonderful sight. And it sort of set my spine to tingling to know that all those people, New Zealanders, Canadians, British, French, Dutch, Russians, and all the others are fighting shoulder to shoulder with us to help make the world a happier place in which to live. And just to look at their faces, you just know we can't lose. Oh, it must have been thrilling, Gary. It surely was. You know, I also got a big kick out of going up to the top of the Empire State Building. Uh, 
stranger in town, you know. Uh-huh. We were uh, 1,028 feet above the street, 102 stories, and the wind that day was blowing 55 miles an hour at that height. Ooh. And listen, when you get to New York again, Vern, mm-hmm. you don't want to miss a ride on the Staten Island Ferry. It's a half-hour trip for just a nickel. Wow. And, <laughs> and the subways, you can ride all over the city for five cents. You really get your money's worth in transportation out of a nickel in New York. <laughs> well, how are traveling conditions, Derwood? Uh, pretty crowded. You know, I couldn't get a plane reservation Sunday night, and I was lucky, very lucky, to get train tickets. I tell you, the government means it when it says very sincerely, please don't travel unless you have to, because everything is jam-packed. And now, Durward, what's the latest on the home front? Well, the OPA announced just about two hours ago that the point values of pork and many beef cuts will be sharply reduced starting Sunday. The pork reductions will range from one to three points, and only spare ribs will remain unchanged. The beef cuts used for roasts, rib steaks, and stews also will be reduced one to two points. The OPA says on the average we will get 8% more meat next month. However, point values for veal, lamb, mutton, butter, cheese, lard, and other dairy products will be unchanged in March. Durward, what's the latest on the draft today? Reports from nearly every state in the Union show that draft quotas are not being met. What's the answer to that, Durward? There are various opinions. Senator Johnson and Senator Wheeler disagree with President Roosevelt's medical commission and think the armed forces should lower their physical standards to take more 4Fs. And others point out that about the only substantial manpower pool left, that is outside of the fathers, is the group of two million single men with occupational deferments. And of course you know that President Roosevelt has ordered all occupational deferments reviewed. Elsewhere on the home front, the Commerce Department says that one out of every three American families now has an income of more than $3,000 a year. That compares with only one in ten families between 1935 and 1940. And another survey shows that it takes at least $13.23 a week to buy food for a family of five in New York City. And that's $2.16 more than last year. Say, Bern, someone asked me why ration tokens are needed. Can you explain that? Oh, easily. You see, red stamps and blue stamps in ration book four will each be worth ten points. Instead of getting your change in stamps, you now get tokens which are good indefinitely. Do you ever experiment when you're cooking? You know, make up recipes? Well, last week I had some bologna and I thought, well, now that would be grand for dinner if I can just think of some new way of cooking it. I think I smell a recipe coming along. <laughs> well, I did put together a dish I thought was good. It's very simple. Bologna and noodle put together, I called it. Maybe you'd like to try it. You just fry cubes of bologna, chopped onion, and some sliced mushrooms in piping hot Crisco. When the bologna and onion have a nice crisp brown look, mix in the cooked noodles and heat thoroughly, then serve. I think your family will like it. Mine cleaned up every last speck. And ladies, don't forget that with Crisco in your frying pan, you don't have to worry about upset digestions either. I should say not. Why, Crisco fried foods are so digestible, even the youngsters can enjoy them. You see, Crisco is pure and all vegetable. Digestible itself. And it's the finest quality shortening you can use. Now, remember, with Crisco, everything you cook tastes better, and it's digestible. And now, Durward, what's our last story? It seems that Navy chaplains never forget themselves, even though they do travel in an atmosphere of, uh, shall I say, purple vocabularies. 
Take, for instance, Chaplain Lonnie Meacham of Virginia Beach. As the story goes, he was standing in the chow line when someone accidentally spilled hot soup on him. And the dignified chaplain didn't say a word for a moment, and then he slowly turned around to the men behind him, and he said, would some of you fellows say a few appropriate words, please? <laughs> well, friends, that's all for now. Join us again tomorrow for another edition of Crisco's Radio Newspaper. Derwood Kirby will bring you the latest world news. Bernardine Flynn will give you the colorful human interest side of the news. And we're both saying goodbye for Crisco. It's digestible. We were... Thanks for joining us for today's episode of the World War II Radio Podcast. We hope these old-time radio programs entertain and help you learn more about what Americans experienced during the war 80 years ago. Be sure to visit brickpicklemedia.com slash podcasts for past episodes and more information 